Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creative Class Podcast. My name is Jesse Fulbert, and I'm pumped. This is the first uh, first episode of this series. The Creative Class Podcast is essentially going to be uh, intimate sit-downs with different kinds of creators and curators and entrepreneurs in creative fields. Uh, we'll get, just get to know them, get to know their past, get to know what they're up to, uh, get to know kind of where they came from and, and how they make uh, make creating a part of their livelihood, whether that's uh, full-time or part-time. And uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I, yeah, I don't really know what to expect from it, but I think that's that's the beauty of episode number one. Um, I just know we're going to have some good times. We're going to have some 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 laughs. We're going to hopefully have someone that makes me cry or something like that so I can say some cries. And uh, yeah, just just good times. So on episode number one, we have the man JP Lancaster. He's a, he's an old time homie. We played football together. We coach football together. We definitely can be found in different venues and different kinds of performances because, you know, he does live music. It's super, super hip stuff. I do uh, I do DJing for, you know, private parties, weddings and and my go to's like uh, old school hip hop. So not that he doesn't dig old school hip hop, but he doesn't he's not a hip hop performer. So but it's all good. I mean, that's that's the beauty of this world. Right. We have we've got uh, we've got different vibes all around the world and uh, we dig a little bit into that. We dig into, you know, curating uh, places where the music is secondary. We dig into a uh, little bit of his past, where he's where he's come from, where he's uh, positioned to go and uh, hopefully some some nuggets of knowledge that you might be able to take away or, you know, just uh, an, an appreciation for one of our uh, local uh, hip celebrities. So we are definitely all over the fucking map with this one, but uh, that's okay. It's the first episode. So I hope you enjoy it. I would love your feedback. I would love to, to know what you think. Hit me up on Instagram at Jesse Fobert. And I also created a, an Instagram for this. It's creative class podcast. So give it a follow. Shout me out in your uh, story so I know how you're consuming it, where you're consuming it, and tell a friend about it. I think it'll be a cool thing. So let's dig in. Episode number 001 with the man, J.P. Lancaster. JP, thanks for being on the show, man. My pleasure, Jesse. Long, uh, I think long overdue, but long overdue. Making, making it happen. Agreed. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, the kickoff to the Creative Class podcast. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have known this guy for a, a good amount of time. Uh, I was thinking on how long it's been, and it's kind of scary uh, just how old I am. I can't speak to your uh, youthfulness, but geez, like, uh, we've known each other for a couple of years here. Yeah. I think well, probably coming up on two decades. Yeah. Which is which crazy. Is no joke. Yeah. No joke. We started, uh, I guess knowing each other when we were playing football in high school, mm-hmm. I was a l- super young Jabron. Um, you were a uh, young, but older Jabron. That's right. Like two, two meters taller than I was at the time. 
Um, you had the silver helmet though. That's kind of the distinct <laughs> thing that. So is that why you're, you're like, hey, that silver hel- hey, helmet put, guy? You, you put yourself on the map, right? Let's <laughs> no. find find a way to. Was that team issued or like? No, that's just uh, the brokenness of. Uh, well, it was team yeah, issued, but it's the brokenness of the program, right? And I got given the silver helmet. It was great in practice because the quarterback knew where to throw. Throw. Yeah. It was terrible in games because the defense was super. It was super easy to track me going right, across things like shining like a disco ball or whatever. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so we know each other from football. Um, Initially, and then uh, you left town, you skipped town, you carried on your journey when it came to the football realm, and then you came back to Kamloops, and uh, football, again, was with what brought us back together, mm-hmm. uh, but we were all also always kind of dancing in the creative field of things. Yeah, because I was going to say, I think between there, um, I remember, was that Stack Radio back then? It was like, the Cheese Stack. The Cheese Stack, but yeah. Yeah. Um, cause I remember we connected about that, um, with a band that I was in at the time in Vancouver. So, right. and you would have been back in Kamloops at that point, as I recall, cause you also went away. Yes. Yeah. I will. Yeah. I don't know exactly when that was, but I started the cheese stack. Um, and it was stack radio for the mixes, but the cheese stack was the blog. Right. Um, I was in London when okay, that started. When that, when that got going. Yeah. When that blew up. Um, right. No, but I do remember, um, yeah, I remember connecting. Maybe that was kind of the thing, um, the impetus to start um, being in touch about that that realm. And I don't remember if we did shows or anything like that. Was that something that you were also doing here? As I was doing, sh- I was doing, yeah, I was like promoting. Or, yeah, yeah, I was promoting at right. the Commodore and then Rivers. And were you um, up at the place off? Yeah, some, we're at Sports Central. Right, yeah. Doing the pool party jams. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, again, I was living in Vancouver at the time and I was aware of those things happening Um I thought, yeah, maybe we connected on it. I played a show once in the basement of the Max. Right. Um, yeah. I can't remember if you were involved with that. But anyway, no. so yeah, that was that was my experience at the time as you were kind of that anchor point of, you know, as you know, right, when you move away, you become disconnected from people here. Yep. Um, and then, and then I was, you come back super energized to like do something. Totally. For the community. Yeah. And then I think, um, and then those sorts of people kind of, when you're seeking that, like, you know, in my situation, when I was being in Vancouver trying to connect with with people here, you ended up being kind of that lightning rod. Um, I mean, this is probably going back 10 years ago yeah. in it, in yeah. itself. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I remember w- that kind of connected us into that realm. Right. Um, and then obviously you've been doing your thing, you know, that, that was probably the jump off point for a lot of this yep. a decade ago. Right. Yep. Absolutely. That essentially morphed into the corporate wedding, private right. party situation that we're DJing for. Yeah. Not every weekend anymore, but right. That's yeah. That's, that's that I, was it. Yeah, and so an interesting journey. Um, you know, it's funny. I was talking. I was talking with a friend about about that kind of ten year number. Um, when right, so right around that time, I also lived in Victoria, and I had the opportunity to work at a brewery there called Phillips. Um, and that was um, that for me. That was um, kind of a watershed moment of seeing that you know you can have a nine to five, you can have a, a, a corporate job, but it can be rooted in creativity. And I think for myself at that point, um, you know, I wasn't really s- certain what career path I would take or how I, how I could earn a living um, doing it kind of morally and ethically. Um, and so that was an interesting thing where, you know, they have like uh, artists, um, you know, as all breweries do now, but, you know, like 
you've got a, a graphic designer on staff, you've got a sign painter on staff, you've got like a set creator on on staff to you know to do the music events and that sort of thing. But it was a sign painter who was talking about he was a second generation sign painter. His dad did that. Cool. Um, yeah, and so he was saying like. He's like, you know, you basically have to commit to it and then do 10 years and year 11 is basically year one. So you're going to do mm-hmm. it for a decade to learn and it's going to, you're going to be garbage and then it begins on year 11. And so that's just kind of when you mentioned that, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you feel that way. A hundred percent. I didn't never thought of it that way, but that yeah. is the reality of all this. Right. And kind of, that's probably also in like, you know, like the mastery hours idea or like, I think there's yeah. just a lot of different ways of framing it of like, you have to put time in. Um, before you really have any, you know, like experience or skill set or something to say about it. Yeah. And I was uh, not blackout all the time, but in my early years of party mob, like it right. was, you wake up with money in your pocket, but you don't, don't always remember how you got, how you got it. But <laughs> yeah, it was good because there's enough in there that enough people were a, bar, a, a part of it. And right. And you obviously grow out of that, but yeah, well, you, I think you have to, otherwise, it, you know, it's not sustainable. Like no. if, and if, and then that's again, kind of like using that brewery, um, you know, it's at some point, you, you know, you need to have a consistent living. Um, and it's great, you know, when you're young and you can kind of fly by the seat of your pants without a plan, um, you know, and you're kind of like, you're living off the supply at the same time. But I think there's like, there's a big price tag attached to that, or it's, it's a finite amount of time that you can get away doing it. Absolutely. Um, you know, and so I think that in itself, right, is like the journey that you took and over that 10 years and to cut and just to refine it and still have the creative side, but do it in a way where like, yeah, you're not waking up like the next, the next morning wondering, yeah, yeah. you know, did I rob a bank or like, yeah. did it go well or yeah. <laughs> am I going to get a call back or yeah. whatever? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, cause yeah, that was, well, I was 24, I think 23, 24 when I, you know, you, you understand that, well, I, I guess I saw an opening mm-hmm. in, wow, like you can make money in the creative mm-hmm. fields. You, there, there is some sort of life that you can live. Mm-hmm. Um, people will pay for it. Mm-hmm. You just need to, you need to treat it the right way. I was fortunate enough to live at my parents' house until I was 27. Mm-hmm. Um, I pushed that to the limit and that wasn't for the sake of partying, but that was for the sake of saving every dollar and, and learning the crafts and t- taking the huge L's. But, uh, but yeah, that, that 11 mark, that 11 year mark really st- strikes home to me. Yeah, like the word we're, we're at, like, we're in the ninth lab right now, but this is all because of a DJ company, mm-hmm. you know, in the heart, which is when I was at school, you never thought a DJ company could make anything. Mm-hmm. happen you know you think that's just either you're doing uh you know either you're partying and having a good time or you're calvin harris like they're right the, the difference between that there's no you, you don't get to see a lot of the people in the in the middle ground of that and right. i think that exists for a lot of the creative fields you know like but there's a whole bunch of creative people out there making a living and and enjoying what they're doing and um or subsidizing their living with the creative realm yeah and that's a good example like again i think um you know you hit the nail on the head like i think we're taught to swing for the fences and like i certainly i don't you need to swing for the fences and you need to be all in and you need to go for something but like if you're using like music whether it's you know djing or performing artists like myself like i think for whatever reason we're ingrained to think of that upper echelon of success like selling out madison square garden or whatever yeah and i think that that it ignores the process and that tenure, you know, like the, the journey and all of that. 
it just assumes you go from point A to point fame. Yeah. And which is like, it's an impossible leap. And I think it sets a lot of people up to get discouraged or to not be all in for the 10 years. You know, right. when, when you're not immediately seeing results because you're not Calvin Harris or you're not, you're not selling out arenas, people yeah. get discouraged and they give up. Um, and yeah, I think that was for me was a, it was a, I can't remember where I, that occurred to me, but that perspective shift of Crazy. of looking at it year by year or, or measurable goals, realistic goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then you feel incentivized to keep going because you feel like you're succeeding and you're, um, you know, even if you're not making seven figures, you know, and like, um, I'm sure that was a situation for you, right? Like you're, sometimes you're kind of limping along, but you're getting along, mm-hmm. um, by virtue of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that is a success that should be celebrated more so than like, kind of the lofty unrealistic one um it's just like all those little incremental steps absolutely and that that's become more clear to me every step of the way is that the um the disconnect between where we're at and and like fame Mm -hmm. it there so many things have to go perfect for you to be famous right in in, in the creative field Mm -hmm. but there's so much success still happening in the middle ground yes and fame doesn't Fame, we're, I think, conditioned to f- equate success and fame Yep. when there are two really, di- two very different things. Yeah, absolutely. I, would argue. I think that's maybe the challenge as well. Like you're saying, is like taking the time to reflect, which can be difficult when you're in it and there's there's so much that requires your attention. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that, that reflection and that ability to kind of take stock of where you're at and what you've accomplished, that's kind of the fuel that, that reinforces the process, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is great. I don't want to get too far ahead because I would love to jump back so that we can get kind of a perspective as to your journey right. into the creative realm. And um, I think you know where I'm going with this. So if yeah, you no, just of, like of dig course. in and let us know where we came from. Um, I guess starting in the beginning, you know, I was uh, I grew up in a house where my dad was, he was a working musician, um, you know, so he, lent, he listened to a lot of interesting stuff. Um, you know, so as a kid, that was kind of my upbringing is listening to, you know, kind of golden age jazz records, um, just things that were not the mainstream whatsoever, which look reflecting back was, I think, very formative for me in my medium as a musician. And I think that speaks a lot to my perspective. Um, an interesting experience. Um, so I, a lot of my friends now are people who I went to elementary school with we've stayed really close and a lot of them have ended up in the creative field. Um, the, you know, one of my best friends, Brandon Vlustek, he, uh, was a graphic designer. Um, he's retired now. He was the creative director for Slack, which is a office Shit. interface yeah, company. So absolutely. he, d- he did quite well with that. Mm. Um, another good friend, uh, John Flair, he does film in Vancouver. So same kind of concept of what you're doing. Um, but he has, a, he has a company as well. Both of them had interesting paths where they, um, you know, and they're just just like yours or I think any entrepreneur that's kind of, you know, had to really go for it as you start, you start out freelancing and you're working through other jobs um, so that you can freelance and, you know, build a reputation and that sort of thing. I know in Brandon's case, you know, he was doing show flyers. John was doing music videos with no, with no budget. Um, and in both of their situations, they're able to gain experience and gain skill and, and, and move up. Um, and both of them tend up in positions of success. Uh, an interesting thing here, here that I would equate that to, um, we did a program called Odyssey of the Mind. Uh, it might have been Destination Imagination. Right. Um, 
you know, this, this is like kid stuff, like in grade five and grade six and grade seven. Um, but it was a really interesting, um, and it's kind of, it's like abstract problem solving essentially. So I kind of the one that we would do is you would get some sort of problem. You need to like, um, demonstrate some sort of abstract, uh, concept in like a seven minute play. Um, they would give, you know, then there's another portion where you're doing like these word challenges and that sort of thing. And so that was a neat thing that we were involved with at a young age um, that I think was very formative, just I think for fostering that part of our development. Um, and then I think we also went to a pretty unique high school that, that we both went to. Um, you know, I felt John Peterson, for whatever reason, just had an interesting combination of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for, for myself, like I kind of embarked on, or I was immersed in that environment just in my home life. And right. then um, by extension of my peers and then by extension, um, of school. Um, and then, so for myself, started playing in bands in grade nine. Um, what, what was your instrument when you were playing there? Uh, in high school I played bass. Um, and that was just, thing. my dad played bass and he right. had a bass yeah. and the band Natural. needed, so, needed someone to play bass. So nice. I just kind of got the part by, by default, by having access to the instrument. Well, it's better than me that just like let's hand you a trumpet let's see how you do oh you can blow so yeah let's let's rock this right yeah well yeah you came at least there was something there like you had seen it enough to i think yeah i think so and some things probably i had absorbed by osmosis not that we were playing good music by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) but um i think just for me that was another huge process um you know that would eventually influence what i do with factotum Mm -hmm. and um but just kind of at that age it was really this world, um, you know, the same example with the music I was listening to at home that was, was different than what you'd hear on the radio. And then also when you, you know, become immersed in kind of the underground DIY scene and that sort of thing, it's just such a revelation, you know, when you're 15, 16, 17, that, um, you know, you don't have to follow that, you know, the cookie cutter trajectory that everyone has laid out for you. Right. Um, What were you listening to? um, What was your jam back then? It, again, that's interesting, you know, like if in the nineties, I mean, I was inter- into kind of the pop, like obviously like, you know, Nirvana and the Smashing Pumpkins and Green Day. Now is this from your parents though? Cause you were saying no. like you, how you grew up with the music. Yeah. So, I mean, that would, would have been stuff that I was listening to, you know, with my peers. Um, what, what was your parents, what were they jamming to? Uh, you know, my dad was into like weather report would be, you know, it's like this seventies fusion jazz group. I remember a lot of that. Uh, Steve, yes. Steve Winwood, um, you probably... Do you remember that, like, uh, I don't know, like, I want to say, like, 2004, Call On Me, that, yeah, yeah. you know that song? Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. sampling a Steve Winwood song called Valerie. Shit. Yeah, so you should look up the original, like, it's it's cool. kind of like, it's just A-plus pop music in the vein of kind of, like, John it, Lennon, Paul McCartney extension. Is it close to the Call On Me? Yeah, or that's, is- like, the, a sa- that Call On Me sampled a line from it. I don't think that was his biggest song though. As yeah. I, I, but I remember we had that one album and he was just kind of like a virtuoso singer and a great, right. a great musician. Right. Um, anyway, so that was interesting for me whenever that Call On Me song came out. I was like, oh yeah, shit, we listened to that on, on vinyl at home growing up. Right. So yeah, I had kind of those odd eclectic things and then obviously like was into kind of the normal 90s fair. I was like really big into Tupac and, and that... Um, you know, East Coast, West Coast era rap music. Right. Then in, in high school, I think. You were in the heat of that too, which is cool. Yeah. When, like, when it was bubbling. Well, I think all, like, you know, I have memories of Cobain's death and Tupac and Biggie Small's death. Um, like I, you know, I was definitely was plugged in enough to be Crazy. aware that that, yeah, that that happened. I don't think I realized the magnitude of it because that yeah. was just kind of 
you know, normal. Well, we uh, don't see that as much these days, yeah, right? I, like a death happens, we're blown away, but it's not to the aggression and the madness that it was at that for point. For sure. And I think you also don't realize it's kind of like, also, you know, 90s culture, like the bulls. Um, and when you're in it, you don't necessarily realize the importance and impact it will have on, right. on the grander scale yeah. until like now when we're all watching that Bulls documentary um, and you realize, you know, that's like one of, if not the greatest sports teams ever. And so I think you can say things about, um, you know, Nirvana, obviously a huge influence. I would, you know, for me, Tupac was my favorite, um, but looking for what he did for, for that era of rap music. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I just didn't have... I was too young that not have the context of what came before it. But then, you know, when you look back on the body of work, you realize how that just like was a 180 for, for rap music Absolutely. and even how like we were talking kind of off air, but how his vocals were treated. Like there was a lot of like game changing things that mm-hmm. have, have stuck around since then. Let alone the, the poetry and the intellectual component that he right. brought to the game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, just kind of that all that confluence of things. Um, like I said, I was fortunate to start playing in bands at a young age, start touring at a young age. So I remember in grade ten, you know, we play in licensed uh, places in Vancouver, and really, yeah, we played. Um, I remember playing the Cobalt, which I don't think that doesn't exist anymore, but that's kind of that was down in like the Chinatown East Hastings area when it was right. super gnarly. Um, yeah, and I mean, now this is kind of a pretty wild experience to go in there as a sixteen, you know, just like. Yeah, 16 years old, like terrified. So, so how did that come about? Like how, like who hears you or what happens to get you in that room? Then, um, as I recall, it was just, there was a lot more live music happening. I think maybe by virtue of the fact that there was just less things for people to do. So I think people were more apt to go out to shows. Right. It's the same thing around that time in Kamloops. Like I recall there being a show and generally like an all ages show um, every other week, like there was always music that you could go see. Right. Um, there was a lot of tons of different, like, you know, so unlike ne- like now you'll have a business like the blue grotto and that they're in the business of doing that. And it's, you know, fairly high stakes at that time. You had a lot more kind of small scale promoters or like even in high school, one of my bandmates, you know, like he was like the co-owner of like a little warehouse venue in town, just kind of like down Victoria Street. Crazy. Yeah. So there was a lot more of those things that existed at that time. And I, I don't know if we see them as much, but um, yeah, as I recall, there was even there was like a, a database on the Internet where you could just look up promoters and venues. Um, I remember uh, the summer before grade 12, we played like a 14 day tour. Uh, you know, and I just like, it's in the madness, co- man. yeah, and I booked this tour in the course of, you know, like making some pizza pops at, at home, <laughs> like just got on the phone, called these people and they're like, right. oh yeah, great. Okay. Um, so it just, it happened a lot more. Right. Whereas now you're right. Like, I think you have to have a calling card and be established and know people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, yeah, like it's, you, it's something that you have to build up to a lot more. So you're touring, you're jamming out, mm-hmm. you because in my, in my, at least in my radar, and I'm not a huge live music guy, mm-hmm. but in my radar, there's a blip there where I don't see you for a while. Then you're coming back to the hometown. Yep. Um, I well, yeah. To fill that blip in yeah. quickly, went away to school. Um, was playing football um, at UBC, which was a great experience. I was st- still was playing music at that time, but um, was fairly focused on that. Um, started so and then to get back to where we we're talking with cheese stack I think that was 2009 I want to say that maybe reconnected 
Yeah. So well, somewhere around there. Yeah, Cheese Stack started two thousand six. Is my first mm-hmm. year in university, but it started bubbling and getting hits two years later. So that about yeah, yeah about that timeline. Yeah. So once I'd finished school, spot on. Once I'd finished school, I, actually at that time I was I was working at a music club in Vancouver called the Media Club. Um, and so that kind of really reignited the, you know, going and seeing shows every night. So what were you doing there? Uh, I was a door guy, just yeah, a bit of a door goon. Cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I just think jacked up UBC football player. Hey, yeah. Just well, rocking the door. I think there was very like, it was a great job. There was only two altercations I can remember dealing with. Like people Sweet. were generally coming there looking to have a good time and enjoy Sweet. Yeah. To enjoy the music. So they didn't need like a big imposing person which right. you know I'm, I'm none of those things um but yeah just being around that and the energy and it, you know it was just kind of going back to you know being a teenager and just that like visceral cathartic like all the great things that that attract people to live music mm-hmm. you know just seeing that night after night and that really ignited that fire to get back into it so i think it was about 2009 um in vancouver at that time had a band or started a band and then it's just kind of been going ever since cool yeah so i guess going ever since because then you come back factotum blossoms right so tell us tell the people that don't know about factotum like what like what's the mindset behind that because uh, as i mentioned like i I do want to i want to bridge the gap between creative realm because everyone can be creative and that's super it's easy to do it's easy to be creative but how do you make not just like a job of it or how do you bring money in but how do you make music or the creative world work for you how does how do you make that happen right how do you how do you open doors with that right so the context was coming back to Kamloops and expecting it to be like when I left at 18 or 19 which was as I was saying shows every week this you know incredibly diverse um music scene that just felt incredibly vital and that didn't exist whatsoever right um and at that time um you know it seemed very much predicated by you know, bands who, who would play, you know, mostly covers. And I remember that kind of being the conversation with any promoter is like, well, do you play covers? And then that's never been my thing. And so right. there was just no opportunity. Right. Um, so Factotum was kind of born out of kind of self-advocating, I guess, at, at, at the start. So it was a means to, um, my thought was if the gatekeepers won't let us in here, and then I have this memory of, of how it was and how I think it could be um, to become the gatekeeper uh, and use Factotum initially as just kind of like a, a platform to unite like-minded people. Um, and so it's kind of just like uh, you were saying, and I think it's it's four or five years now for me. So, you know, I, I still have some time to still before I hit my 10 years, but it's evolved, I think, out of necessity. And, and as I learn, um, you know, currently I would view it as sort of a, a 360 approach to being an artist. So, I mean, first and foremost, you know, I play music um, and that's a huge priority in my life. Um, so Factotum served as a role as a publishing company for myself and then also was able to work as a publishing company uh, for other, you know, for other artists initially in town, but now um, across the province, even worked with a band in Winnipeg. Um but as you find out, you know, that's not necessarily enough. Um, in, a, in a market like Kamloops, it's not enough to get you by. So started mm-hmm. looking at doing, at doing show promotion, um, which then, so that became an opportunity to become the gatekeeper and allow for 
allow for the kinds of bands that I want to see to ha to have an opportunity to play, mm -hmm. um, to start bringing in interesting bands who are on tour, to have them stop here, to start to build that culture and get people engaged there. Um, and then again, so with that, um, you know, I think that was successful, but on its own was not enough. And then in the, you know, for in, I'll use the Blue Grotto uh, as an example, able to have a very um, good, uh, mutually beneficial relationship there where, you know, they were very um, open to letting me do shows, which is different from their usual programming. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, as the culture built, people were interested. Um, you know, there was a pretty cool scene. And so that, that helps their business out. That gives me a place to work. Um, from there, I was looking at, well, um, you know, I don't, I don't have the means of my own production. I don't have my own physical space and I can't do shows there regularly. What are some other options? And so that, that got me further down the rabbit hole of looking at, at larger scale events. So kind of brew loops, um, luminosity or, or two that kind of jump to mind where, mm. um, in a community like Kamloops, uh, you know, it's, it is very much, it's a small town and you get to know people. Um, and that was an opportunity to, to do something that, it, you know, again, in my mind was mutually beneficial. Um, to provide some guidance for, you know, which bands they should be working with, um, you know, really modernize it as far as my tastes go and the kinds of bands that I think should be playing here and that would be, you know, relevant and, you know, and hip and all and all that sort of thing. Um, and, and that was kind of a, um, it was that the next piece of the pie. So I guess that's kind of ultimately what I'm trying to say is I think in a marketplace like Kamloops as a creative, and I'm sure this has kind of been your experience, I don't think you can be just a thing mm -hmm. um just by virtue of of our size i think you need to look at it from a lot of different angles but in doing so i think that's when you can build like an even greater community than just um people coming to a show because once you start mm -hmm. working with other organizers you're able to tap into um you know their niche their aesthetic uh people who support them um i kind of the la last project which met kind of an ill fate due to COVID, but mm. uh, was the Brodigan Library, yes. um, which was uh, myself, Mitch Forgey um, of Redbeard and Bright Eye and Greg Clone of GK Sound. I was jazzed about that. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was really frustrating. I mean, completely circumstances beyond our control, but yeah. to, to turn a negative for Mitch with the closure of Mustache and Go, which was, um, you know, an interesting idea for him to streamline Redbeard, mm. turn that negative into a positive, um, and we were only able to do a handful of events before things kind of got locked down, um, and it doesn't look like we'll be able to continue. But so that was, you know, getting back to just learning sequentially. That to me was kind of, you know, that that next level up of just of of putting on shows um, at other people's places and maybe without any long term vision. All of a sudden, you know, by doing that and then doing festivals and meeting people and you know. I think just as the ball started rolling and, and you started gaining momentum to have a physical space was kind of that next iteration. Yeah. Um, and opportunities came from yeah. doing those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then get that's getting back to my original point, I think as well of like, of with each, each level and, and each kind of piece of the pie getting bigger, um, all of a sudden it starts to look more viable and, and more sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of, I think the thing that was very frustrating with like, you know, kind of when we looked at the numbers of that, it was like, yes, this this can be a place that can last and can be here for a while and right. can be that it's like, you know, finally the physical manifestation of something that I've been doing, you know, just like by patchwork and, yeah. you know, kind of putting things where I can. Hmm. Can you speak on, 
I guess maybe the, the thought process behind, you know, um, taking those next steps? Like, was there a moment where you're like, okay, well, I need to take this next step? Or was that kind of built into the process? Were you just like riding a wave? Or like, where did that come from? I think for me, and this would be different for every everyone, I think it was just built into the process and they were just kind of logical steps that would come along the way. Right. Um, you know, for myself, like I, I work a day job um, as a high school teacher. Uh, so I have that that security net for better or for worse. So I've been in a situation where I've been able to do art in a f- largely financial, financially sustainable way. Um, you know, you could, you could definitely make the argument of if, if I didn't have that safety net, would I have progressed further? Mm. Um, there's certainly some validity, validity to that, but there's also, you know, perhaps the possibility in my, in, you know, in my individual circumstance, maybe resources would have run out and I would have given up. It's really hard to say, but I think, yeah, for me, it's been um, a matter of, in terms of my process of just continuing on and things become apparent as you do good work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think for me, it would start with like, with having, um, you know, with my previous band at Mission Dolores for that to become largely financially sustainable on its own. So that being kind of its first piece where um, we're not making money off of this, but if we put out a release, if we tour, it pays for itself. It pays for our food. We're coming out. We're coming out even. So mm-hmm. then you look at well, what's the next piece for that? Um, merchandise was one that you know that has worked for me. Well, um, I know I've never seen so many units move. And <laughs> like when it comes to your partnerships, I think that's been right. so great. Every time I see, I'm wearing a shirt right now. Um, yeah, you know the the factotum label with a partner. Mm-hmm. I'm always thinking to myself like, damn, like what am I doing right now? Like I'm just a little chump over here, not, you know, spreading that brand awareness and making those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I immediately think I'm a chump, but it was so great to see you utilize these uh, avenues to spread your word, to get, right. get that out there and, and give some validity to what you're doing as well. You know? Yeah. Well, again, that I think for my process has been, um, working with other people and bringing success to other people. And I find generally that reciprocates with yourself. Right. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer as well, like empowering people around you who are good at what they do. So for myself, for instance, uh, I'm, I'm not a graphic designer, but um, Frank Luca, right. Who does, a, who has done a ton of, you know, posters. Yeah. Photography. He's a local champ really. Yeah, yeah absolutely. When it comes to shows. For sure. Yeah. Um, and those are and his, branding for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those are his strong suits. Um, and, you know, he's a creative trying to earn a living off of doing that. Yeah. So by, you know, if I can create a situation for him um, where, you know, like it's, it empowers him where, you know, he's able to get paid from this project um, or, you know, even uh, under wraps in town. I have a great relationship with them. They're yeah. a local, you know, they do all the, they, and they did those like, um, They've gone out of their way and above and beyond to do interesting things. Like they did that double color pull, like of the, Absolutely. I'm not sure if that's a shirt oh, no, you have that's on. That's the shirt I got right now. Yeah. I'll so, show the people that are on. Sorry, those of you tuning in on video or audio, audio right now. But so that was a situation of them going above and beyond to take like, you know, they're working with a design. That's kind of where it, where it ends for me. Yeah. But because, you know, we have a good relationship and I'm trying to bring them work as much as possible. They put a creative spin on it and, so I think for me, it's kind of worked out. I, I think that is how going along in this process, opportunities arise. As I th- for me anyways, when you're working, you know, it's as a band, right? Like you want, 
you want the venue to feel really good about about booking you and having a show there. Yeah. Like you don't want them leaving with a sour taste. And that probably goes back to my, you know, my media club days in Vancouver. Like when you would see the divas, um, you know, who are like, they have no, they're not at a level where they can behave like that yet, but right. that's like, you know, that's a great way to kind of shoot your career in the foot. Um, so that's kind of always been, been my mindset is, is work with people, empower those people. Um, you know, for, I guess maybe that's, for me, checking my ego to like, to reach out to other people who have a good skill set. And to that, like you've chosen the best partner as possible, right? I think like, so, yeah. And even at just like a fundamental, nice people right. level, yeah. like you, you have Greg, like all the people that you're saying right now under wraps, yeah. they all supported me in summer league. For sure. Yeah. And that, to support a festival with no backing, no marketing right. ability yeah. and say, we're going to support you 100%. Exactly. That to me is like, I couldn't have felt better about the community element of it where people are saying, you know, like let, let's buy in, let's, let's spend money because yeah. the, the huge amounts of money were spent even on the summer league front yep. to help support something that had no, no history, no ability to prove itself. They weren't waiting for me to, to already have a product they yeah. they said we're going to help support it because we want the community as a whole to benefit from this so for sure and yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's been situations where they've they've gone out of their way or they've met me halfway i think i mean you would be a good example even when we did metal lodge if you remember that the pop-up shop yeah because i think that was probably fairly early, early. On, yeah early on in fact totem so so really by that i mean um you know if there's no reason, like, I think, I don't even know how I pitched that idea to you, just probably over some beers. Well, yeah, as a pop-up, you're like, I want to run this pop-up, it's middle of winter. Yeah. All you I could think is, like, dirty floors, it's going to take me, like, two hours to clean, but yeah, why right, not, yeah, right? Yeah, but you put up, you know, you're the one, you put up your space so that we could make it happen. And I, as I recall, that was an awesome event, like, and that Absolutely. was, and that really, enca I think, encapsulated kind of just my vision, like, I, I, I mean, that, that's probably going back three, four, like, was that 2017 maybe? Yeah, yeah. Somewhere around there. A couple years ago at least. Yeah. But I just remember, I mean, that was like very much the vibe that I've tried to go for, for Factotum events. Like you're getting kind of a broad scope of people. Like it's not just like a hyper concentrated scene. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah you, like, you've brought, you've done a great job at bringing in different elements, different ideas. Right. Um, and different, I f feel like different businesses that, don't necessarily like they're not a natural thing to bring into the environment, but they suit the environment quite well. Yeah. Cause that was, I mean, iron road had just popped up, I think Yep. for that one. So we had, that's right. Yeah. Um, the jazz guys came, the jazz guys. Yeah. Came, and I think that right? was maybe their first gig that, that was, they played together. Yeah. yeah. And absolutely. then that's become a big, a big institution for iron road. hundred percent. Um, yeah, I guess. And it, I mean, that speaks to probably, you know, for myself having cut my teeth at Phillips in Victoria and then, you know, having three years at red collar. Um, and I approached those jobs with the, with the exact same mentality of, you know, this like needs to be like, everyone's in it together. Let's do cool things. Like I were yeah. at red collar. I, I co-opted a lot of ideas from Phillips, but we did, um, of course, I mean, every idea you brought yeah. from Phillips, like it, it was really cool to hear a brand like that pushing the limit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was like, it was just kind of like adult fantasy camp of, but that was really the ethos of the business is like, yeah, it's like something improbable like that. Why don't we put on a show in our, our loading bay? Right. Um, okay, let's do it. And and I think also that mentality of, uh, for me, that was very formative in, it's like, if you have an idea, 
do it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing stopping you. And it's kind of like you're saying with summer league, right? Like, um, you have a concept, it's not even proven out, whatever, do it. Let's go. Yeah. And it will happen if you apply yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think getting back to that idea of working, of working with businesses and it just gets it back, you know, it's helping others and they will help you. And so it can be a win-win situation. Absolutely. As long as everyone's given it. Yeah. A hundred percent. Instead of just reminiscing full time here right. as to what's going on. Um, you know, one of the, one of the goals, uh, that I have with life, but also this podcast, I'd love to dive into the idea of, mm-hmm. of making, being a creative, uh, a possibility and whether that be full-time possibility, part-time possibility, side hustle. Um, I think there's so many incredible people in Kamloops in terms of the, the skill, like it's, it's not a small town when it comes to the ability. Um, but it might be a, a smaller town when it comes to the business side, which I think separates a lot of a lot of markets and, and the ability to get into Kelowna as an artist or a DJ. If you were looking at, uh, you know, a, a young gun that loves playing some sort of instrument uh, at a young age, knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. what, what, what do you say? What do you, what, what kind of direction do you give or do you even give direction? No, it's, it's funny you mentioned that I had a Zoom call with someone um, who I'd never met, who had never seen, um, but kind of like a friend of a friend situation. Um, and it was exactly that. Um, you know, and I always try and give the caveat, you know, like this is my approach and how it works for me. And like, you know, I also, I, I do work a job and that's like, that's my paradigm and I, I'm, I'm very happy with it. I think a few things I'll use like music as a lens, but I think it does like that mastery hours, 10 years thing. Um, I think that's a, a big starting point to consider uh, and kind of self-advocacy. So, which again, kind of was factotum. So a lot of them, um, you know, kind of a common thing with music as a lens would be, well, I have some ideas, I have some demos. Um, I'm, I'm going to send those off to some labels and see what what the response is, you know, and generally what I'm going to tell them is like, I don't think it, there'll be any response, you know, like the mm-hmm. way a label work, like they're investing money into your product, like an album, um, with the assumption that they're going to be able to sell a lot of it, but they're not going to make that investment until they have a personal relationship with you. And it's like, that's kind of what we were talking at the beginning. You know, it's like, that's almost in the same vein of like, I have some demos, I'm going to play MSG or, you know, I'm going to play the Coliseum. Um, so generally my advice to them is to start, like, is to set some incremental goals. And and I think this is universal. You would just change whatever the medium is for any creative. Um, but I think, you, you know, you need to work on getting your, your mastery hours up. So if, if you're a musician, you need to start by playing open mics and you need to work on your demos and, um, you need to kind of just jump at any opportunity to play when you can, um, when you feel as if you have something that, you know, will really impact, impact people. And you're, you're excited to showcase that at that point, you still need to be, you know, you need to be self-advocating and you're probably going to have to do, you know, something like I did where you create something for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like the whatever field of dream. Like if you build it, they will come kind right. of idea. Yeah. We're sitting in the, in my field of dream for sure. Right yeah. Now. And so, and that's probably the same thing for your story, right? Is like, I don't think, I don't think any creative can expect to get like, no one's going to really pull you up. I think you need to start to build it considerably yourself and be willing, willing to put that hard work in whatever, whatever your medium is. Yeah. I think a lot of people can get into that trap of like with music that there's, there's a label that will, 
it will sign me. I'm like, well, that's probably. And that shoots you up to where you want to be. Right. Or pays, pays for your record. And it's like, well, no, that's probably 10 years down the line. Once you've toured and you've, you've booked shows for other bands and you've put out albums on your own and you've shown that you can do all those things. And Mm -hmm. that's probably analogous to, to your situation, right? Like like, starting in your parents' place. Yeah. As you're saying this, it's, it's, it's funny how when you're in a creative field that you think it's different than a normal business or a normal uh, line of work where you don't have to put in the work. You don't have to prove it right. before people start buying into whatever you're putting out yeah. there, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's exactly, it's like starting at a job and working your way up. Only The only difference is there's no pre-existing structure. You need to imagine that. You that's create stru- it. Yeah, you need yeah. to imagine that structure yourself. Um, I would, yeah, like oftentimes... Um, you know, the, I'm fielding these questions from people who are in university who are kind of in that bubble. Right. And that's kind of my other thing too, is like, you need to stick with it. You need to stick with it past, you know, like past your university safety bubble. And mm. and that's, I think probably the make or break or where a lot of people need to decide how serious they are about it and, right. and whether they're, they're willing to keep going. But, but yeah, it is, I think like you need to, to build your infrastructure. You need to help others around you because they will help you in turn to build that infrastructure. Mm. Um, and you know, once it's built then sure. Yeah. Maybe you can like, you know, for myself being able to work with like with brew loops who had a lot of that in their infrastructure in place, but I was able to take that next leap and, and book those festivals and focus, do a really good job of my part, but having tons and tons of support from other people doing a lot of heavy lifting around, Mm -hmm. I think that's what it takes. And I think that's that, that building is the crucial step that a lot of people, and it's, it's hard ass work as, as you know, right? Like, and uh, getting back to, um, um, the bulls documentary, like for me, there's so like seeing Jordan's process and, and, and kind of an interesting thing that I took away that really transcended basketball is like, he was just, he was hyper-focused and he was obsessed and he demanded the most of himself. He demanded the most of his teammates. Yeah. Um, and to me, like, ob- obviously he's the greatest basketball player of all time, but I feel like those traits, like a lot of people, like you and I embody them to some degree where we're, hi- we're hyper-focused on what we do. And there's so many people like that. And to me, that was just such a, like a confirming moment of, you know, it's like, you know, he's, he's in the right time, in the right place. And obviously like, like gifted kind of at that next level, but all those, like that never ending belief in yourself and determination. A fucking work ethic, man. Obsessive work ethic yes learning from mistakes being okay with mistakes but just immediately taking them and treating them as a learning experience and growing from that and and i think using those setbacks as motivation rather than like a crippling like roadblock that you can't overcome and all the work ethic that goes into it needs to be the same as any other industry or any other you know, you see success what does it take it takes that that grind mentality mm-hmm. but you also need to be understanding that not everyone's going to be down with what you're putting yep. out there. Right. And for the sake of you, when I like it, the, the stuff that you do isn't what I'd gravitate towards, but I will be at every show that you curate because of the culture, because of the people that are surrounding it. And once I'm in it, like, uh, because I love music, I'm just, I, I love everything about it. Right. Yeah. All, all of a sudden my ears change and right. I'm just into it. Well, and that's, uh, I was just reading this today, actually. Um, it was Dan Mangan talking about 
um, the show is really about that experience with other people. And the music is just kind of the facilitator of that. And he was kind of speaking to the ego of performers often like think like it's my show and I drive, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm driving the ship here or steering the ship here. Um, and I think your example, like is a great, like one enforces what reinforces what he was saying, but two, that kind of speaks to my vision of you go to a show and it's maybe not your kind of music, but you have a good time based on who is there. And, and the music's just kind of facilitating the night Mm -hmm. and, you know the artist like you know i get to go up on stage and feel good about myself for my own reasons but at the end of the day um i think and that's really been my takeaway and kind of what has made me keep doing it um you know i think up to 51 shows or something like that when is um, my last checked but yeah it's just like it's a really good time you know and 99 times out of 100 the bands are great but you know maybe half the people they're not into that but they enjoy themselves and there's that sense of community and and that's that's totally huge 100 percent when it comes to the wins and the fails, mm-hmm. I quickly understood that I don't need that uh, feedback, that the positive feedback loop. Yes. As much as I don't need the negative feedback loop in a way that uh, everyone seems to know what you should do. Mm-hmm. Everyone seems to know what the next step is, even though they're following a completely different path and they've never walked your shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point throughout your career did you make that decision? Cause I know it exists to, to stop listening to those people or, or did that feedback loop not exist for you? I, I would assume it does. It did exist at the early stages, but maybe that was super early considering how early you started playing. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a really good question. Cause I think certainly it's interesting. Like I feel, um, I'm not, I'm undeterred by, by negative feedback or anything like that, but also block out a lot of the pot. Like it's just kind of, you have to go both ways though. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just kind of, you know, right. Like you, um, and I think you can glean stuff and, and move forward. You have to be self-aware enough to understand. Yes. That was a failure. Yes. You should have approached it differently or that you, you need to look back at yourself. But I do think the moment you start taking all the praise, you open yourself up to all the negative and that just sets you back. Like there's no reason to feel like a, a hero all right. the time. Right. Yeah. I think, um, interestingly enough, um, having that break, um, like playing football was big and in terms of getting, um, really down on myself from, right. um, and not understanding, I think, uh, the way coaches were, were pushing and trying to drive me. Um, when I look back at playing at UBC, like it was, um, I did, you know, I did well and I was in like the top 40 of the roster, like, but not in the top 20 had, had a lot of positions, I think, to kind of get, get there and just kind of never really took advantage of it. So I remember that being a moment of like, a lot of these opportunities came up and I didn't make the most of them, but that's like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, um, it wasn't debilitating that my football career didn't get to the next level Mm -hmm. as I thought, but more so is like, okay, that was great. Like I was in, I was in those positions and I kind of dropped the ball in some instances and that's great because I'm going to make sure that that never happens again. Mm -hmm. So I remember having that, that, that maybe just more for like a determination piece, but I I think that was a changing point where, um, once my career ended, I was definitely just like undeterred, unflappable and just like any opportunity that comes my way, like I will seize it. I will not, be intimidated by it. Right. I will not be like, I'll not get bogged down by criticism yeah. or even 
you want to think about who thinks what about this. Yeah, or I think in uh, I'm also like if people are trying to drive me, perhaps you know by offering feedback or whatever, like I'll be a lot more open and receptive to it. Right. So that stands out as a moment. I think in terms of in terms of of music. Um, whether it's what I'm making or shows, I think that's fluid. Like I think there's always things that I'm improving upon and I'm always making mistakes and I'm always learning from them. I think um, it would certainly be probably in the last four to five. So I guess kind of factotum is maybe, is maybe that embodiment of like kind of a, a definitive point where I was like, I'm just going to do things and I believe in them. And I, and I know, you know, like in terms of, of my goals and my vision, they're they're accurate and they're in the right ballpark and there's going to be some some errors but I'm in the right direction. I think mm-hmm. that might have been that moment where where I was like I'm onto something and I believe in it um and I can kind of block out like you know all the pats on the back the and and all the yeah and all like yeah the the, the haters and I'll, I'll use three fingers to really intellectually distance myself from that term but but you know what I mean like I yeah. think um that's probably the moment where it's just like okay I'm on a path I'm going to do it. But as I said, it's, and that's probably uh, something for people to take away is it's, it's always fluid and you're always learning. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I just think when you can, when you have that belief, then you know how to correct it and you know how to finesse it and go from there. So what's a uh, hard, hard turn here? What's, what's next? What, what does the future look like? That's, I mean, yeah, we're both kind of in the same boat of uncertain, you know, what does the, the next year look like i mean it's kind of anyone's guess right now um like recording yeah so i guess like i thought i'm using this time for myself um you know finally i think in a lot of the bands i've been in i've 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 approached it with the idea of like as a collective although generally i'm you know the kind of the creative lead on it um approaching it now where just to do it under my name and as a brand or you know just as myself um and i think having a lot you know just i think finally embracing that kind of that jordan thing rather than being disappointed by people maybe not rising to my level accepting that delegating things a bit better um so i'm using this time uh you know working on uh you know what will be you know a 10 song album something to that effect um and then have that all ready for when hopefully in sometime in the foreseeable future we get back to music so i mean that's the personal angle um, in terms of... So what does that timeline look like? Um, well, I'm hoping to have the album out by November, December. Cool. Um, but again, it's anyone's guess whether or not I'll be able to do any sort of um, tour support for that. I think kind is of... That, in, is that the idea? Like uh, coming from your perspective, like release an album, mm-hmm. have a tour set up to follow? Yeah. That's the idea. Yeah, I think so. Um, for those young cats out there. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's... So uh, like some maybe knowledge to glean for people in music is I, I, I don't think you can, it's kind of just like, you know, sending a demo to a label is like, that's a needle in the haystack. Right. And just as putting stuff on streaming with no tangible plan of connecting with people, there's just, there's so much, I mean, music has been democratized in a great way where everyone has access or far more access to, to create music and good music. Um, but it's how do you get ears on it? And just putting something on Spotify or Bandcamp is not enough. You need to find a way to engage with people. And, and then that gets back to the whole building community. It's it's helping bands out by putting on shows for them in your town mm-hmm. so that then they'll reciprocate and do something for you down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, for, for just for me as an artist, that's the plan to put out an album, 
um, to play in other cities and to do to do vinyl again. Mm-hmm. Um, for Factotum, I think you know I'm looking at a lot of people are creating music right now, um, and so just kind of having you know trying to keep my ears open and, and talk to friends and see what they're working on and cool. um, hopefully be able to put out um, put out a few releases. But yeah, it's really hard. It's hard to say beyond that. I, I you know the Brodigan Library concept. Um, depending on, well, I mean, kind of realist commercial real estate might, mm-hmm. that might change dramatically, and so it, it might, might have some options moving forward. Right. Hopefully, I'm not one of them. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, so I think that that idea is still, you know, simmering away somewhere. Right. Um, and again, I think it just gets back to what I was saying of. I'll, I'll just continue my process, which is is working on things and trying my best to do good things. Yeah. Um, and and create. Just yeah, and create, and generally that will create opportunities, um, and then to move forward there. But yeah, like you know, a break, a lot of breaks have been put on, and a lot of the things that I you know with this year with Brew Loops and it being a luminosity year, oh, very excited okay. for those. But it's kind of anyone's guess <clears throat> at this point in time whether or not they will happen. So right. yeah. I feel that hurt, man. Um, yeah. So I guess in the immediate future, though, we got a little jammer of a uh, little, uh, little something you just put together yep. in this very space. For those of you that are tuning in as the first episode, uh, there's a reason why we're so uh, spaced and visually this isn't the sexiest thing you've ever seen. Although you have two very sexy gentlemen in the space. Um, we did have two other sexy gentlemen or uh, one of one of us included uh, in this. And I don't know, do you want to even speak on that? Because this is going to come out right before. Yeah, no, well, I'm dressed a bit nicer in the other one. So <laughs> I, I forgot that we'd be filming this. So I kinda, <laughs> come on, man. Avenue Media House, you know, we, we all, we I got know, a, it's ex- multidiscipline here. But. That's right, yeah, which, yeah, it's in the name. And I <laughs> I botched that one. Um, you still look great, though. Thank yeah, you, I appreciate it's that. It's on brand, it's I still think. Derelict or whatever it is. Um. Yeah, so I mean, I took a lot of inspiration from KEXP, um, public radio in Seattle. Um, and for anyone who's familiar, they have uh, they'll do their in studio performances, but they'll also have like a well well put together um, video that will come out after the fact um, right. with an interview with the host. And for me, that's probably one of, if not my main source for new music or for seeing artists I love because cool. you get um, you get a great live representation. The sound is on point. It looks fantastic yeah. with that interview in there. And I think it hits on, um, you know, what we're doing now. Like you get kind of the condensed podcast and I mean, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm huge on consuming information that way. Yeah. So it was great. Um, and just seeing kind of your vision, uh, I mean, pre pre COVID you were still doing the renovations here, but so to come in and see what, what this space looks like and, and be able to do something like that. Um, and with a bit more kind of more free form podcast than interview, just because I, th- I think that's, um, I think that's an interesting angle to take is just to, to have a conversation like we're doing now. 100%. Yeah. So I, I think that's, um, well, one, it was, I mean, it was super fun for me at the end of the day. So that's, I guess, all that really matters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think again, like trying, trying to engage with people in a way, like thinking of that concert thing, right. Of just being, being a vehicle, like, yes, I'm playing, you know, I'm playing some songs and I, I hope people dig them. But even within that, you know, Frank and I were talking about, you know, growing up in Kamloops and um, some of our takes and, you know, kind of in the same vein of like what has inspired us creatively. And so that's, that's kind of, it's just, I, I, well, one, I appreciate having the platform here to do it because the facility is great. 
Um, Thank but, you. Yeah, and for two, I don't know, maybe that's something that we can see more of, um, just because I think it's an interesting way of experiencing, you know, the music is there, but there's also that human interaction. 100%. I mean, even the clip you sent me, uh, getting to know an artist and seeing the intricacies and how they move and how they act. Yeah, and yeah. Like, I just, you, you don't often get that, you know, mm -hmm. if, if it's a, if it's a, if it's an interview format, you are, you're bound to like boring ass questions. And right. You don't actually get to explore the mind at all. Right. And so like right. you have a predetermined goal. Obviously tonight's podcast had no predetermined goal. We got, but we got there though. We got some things yeah. in there, but you actually get to, like get to know someone that's in, right. in some shape or form, right? Yeah. But then and, I think the other side is with, um, you know, for me as a fan of music, like with production value and that's where I think, you know, like there's obviously a lot of Instagram live and Facebook live, yeah. um, which I don't interact with as much because generally kind of, you know, for me as a musician, I want to hear the music and sometimes I feel it's not represented adequately. Yeah, it's trash. Yeah. Sure. Um, but we're going to change that here at Avenue Media House. I'll tell you. Yeah. So we got, yeah. We've got some plans on the, Instagram sucks though. Like in native natively, they want to push the mobile, right? But musically, that doesn't. That's not how jam. people. Yeah, that how people help should be at all, right? How they should be experiencing music, and particularly if the person on the other end is going through their phone, or even you right. know, just like a shitty mic into an interface is not uh, not enough. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think having more of a proper studio setup, and really, I think that's like that's kind of the closest thing that we're going to get to for for a while for but yeah. yeah it has the added bonus though of you know i think genuine conversation yeah which is fascinating yeah get to know someone good sounding music you sound great by the way thank you we haven't uh, done the post uh we haven't we haven't dug into it at all but uh my first take it was it was all right then <sighs> you sound pretty good okay well, i'm gonna lie we can work with <laughs> that i look forward to hearing what comes out the other end yeah well and i think um you know it's uh my approach for this has been to make everything just as a standalone. Like I can sit here and just play it on guitar. Yeah. Um, but then on the record, I think to have like to totally, you know, like have a produced um, kind of grandiose vision. Yeah. I mean, that's the fun part for me as a creative. Um, but then I think also being able to pivot in like you can perform it stripped down or you can perform it with Absolutely. three other people, five other people, seven other people, whatever. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the thing that, that turns my crank currently. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think um, we'll see how it turns out. I, th I think it's going to be super jazzy. Mm -hmm. uh, what did we shoot for? What What's the date on that release? Um, you say the 27th? Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday. Is that the 27th? Is that this one? No, today's Wednesday. A week today. Week today. Yeah. Beautiful. No time. JP, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. I really appreciate Thank you, Jesse. Having, having you on here. And uh, when it comes to the release that we did, um, there's some tunes from the album. I know that you had already previously released at least one of them that I was aware of. Yes, I, I have a single out on Spotify from a different recording session, though. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of indicative of the direction that I'm going, um, just kind of orchestral pop music. And same sort of thing, like it's, uh, there's, you know, like some... Uh, clarinet and baritone sax and like a bunch of different different cool. instruments in there that obviously I'm not going to do live by myself but yeah that's out there cool cool so where can people find you um instagram um it's at lancaster.jp um and the other one I mean factotum um use them in, in equal amount but I think factotum is also just a great example like 
beyond myself as an artist, just to be aware of, um, you know, either shows or events when that happens. Um, and then music that I'm, that I'm finding Jazz interesting. Done. Yeah. Cool. And then just some great photography here and there and all, you know, Frank Luca or, I think you've got some stuff in there as well from that. The album, actually, that's we should have talked about you being on the album cover, but uh, yeah, we, we'll save that for another day, I guess. Let's dig into that come summertime. Absolutely. Cool. For those of you that uh, want to check out the uh, the recording and the beautiful set and uh, casual uh, chat, how like what would you how how would you describe that JP like what what is that I think it was just banter is what banter. I would say like I felt I was interviewing Frank at one point I mean <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think you might have been yeah yeah I I mean yeah the last thing I wanted was just Frank to I mean Frank's my friend and that was the yeah. first time I'd seen him or you or any yeah. human in like six weeks yeah. um I was just kind of happy to to hang out and just like talk about things which yeah. I, I think we kind of we hit you on definitely and, hit on that yeah cool. So to check out the banter and the live music, that sounded really great in the Ninth Lab, downtown Kamloops on Victoria Street. Tune in soon, the 27th. Uh, unless, you know, something more crazy happens than a pandemic, that shit should be out. So stay tuned. Thanks, JP. Thank you. <laughs>